morning, church family. How we doing? Good to see you guys. Anybody happy to be in God's house this morning? Come on, worshiping. Well, if you're new around here, we're so thankful that you're here and visiting us and checking us out. Uh, we are in some crazy times, but God is still on the throne, and we're going to study his word because his word never shifts. It never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Well, uh, as, as Angela mentioned, I want to brag on Angela. First of all, yesterday morning, she did a half marathon, uh, and then... And then her and her husband have a, a, a side business where they do photo shoots and stuff. So she had a photo shoot last night, which I know is also exhausting. And then she got ready to MC this morning. So she's pretty awesome. She runs basically the church. She runs all of our admin and everything. So give it up for Angela. Pretty awesome. I did not do a half marathon yesterday. So, but that's okay. Uh, I, we are gonna get into this study, the life of Christ. I'm excited. I, I wanna kind of, build the case for this, though, this morning, uh, because really what this is about is our desire and our aim at, at making sure that as a church, that we all understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, uh, what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. Uh, we, as, as we've been in the pandemic and dealing with this virus and everything, it's been encouraging in, in some respects just how the Lord has been speaking to us and helping us get some clarity uh, about what really matters. I, I'm, I'm hoping that that's happened for you and your families as well, where you figured out like there's some things that are really important. There's some other things that we thought were important that really aren't as important as we thought they were and just bringing some clarity. But when it comes to where we are as a church and, and how we are teaching you and, and how we're encouraging you, for me personally, I've, I've had a little bit of a conviction that unintentionally, uh, I think there's a chance that over the years, what we've done is we've, we've developed people that are really big fans of New Life Church, but have not always been fully devoted followers of Christ. And there's a big difference between those things because my, my heart, my desire has never been to have people that just really like our church. That we, our desire has never been that we have services with, with just good worship. People are like, man, the worship's good there. Uh, the, 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 the preaching is tolerable, you know, like, like it's never been our heart to have a church like that. Our heart is to be obedient to what the word of God and what the great commission tells us to do. And that is that we don't just offer a place of salvation, a place of celebration, a place of worship, but this is a place of discipleship. This is a place where we understand that we all need to be growing in Christ. And as we grow in Christ, it is also our desire and our passion that others would grow in Christ. And so that's what this life of Christ study is going to be about. It is the catalyst. It is, if we're going to, to study what it means to be a follower of Christ, and we need to understand who we're following. And we're gonna be breaking this down and studying in scripture, maybe on a deeper level than maybe we ever have as a church. And I would suggest that this is the most important season that we have ever had as a church. Uh, I, I believe that it directly correlates to, to the season that we are in as a nation, Certainly the things we're seeing around the world, what, what that means scripturally, what that means possibly for being in the end times, regardless of whether or not Jesus comes back tomorrow or in a hundred years, we know that the Lord has told us and we're trying to be obedient. We are going to make disciples in this church. And so I, I wanna go to this verse in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. This is also mentioned in the Old Testament. This has been around for thousands of years. Uh, it was mentioned first in Deuteronomy 6, but, but basically... The word, God the Father and Jesus uh, reemphasizes, this is the key. This is the key. This is what it's about for us 
that call ourselves Christians, believers. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all. Everybody say all. All your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. He didn't say love the Lord your God with some of your heart, the parts that you want to, or a little bit of your soul, or most of your thinking. Jesus said all. God is, he's not asking for something. He's asking for everything. And here's the thing, because he went all out for us, it means he's also empowered us to go all in for him with everything that we have. How many of you guys remember that powerful hymn that maybe some of you sang growing up in church, I surrender 70%. No? Was it, I, 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 I surrender some? I surrender mostly, most of the time. I surrender-ish, it's kind of an ishy surrender. No, what's so powerful about that hymn is the word all. I surrender all. I like to be around people that are all in. I don't know about you. Like if you're around me very long at all, I can be a little bit of an intense person. I'm kind of like, I'm 100%. I'm 100, like 100%. Pretty much everything I do, I don't like to be in halfway. And so so that can get me in trouble sometimes because I'd be relatively competitive. Some people say I'm over competitive. I say, no, I think it's the right amount. But like, even when you're playing like a board game, like it's just supposed to be this nice, friendly competition. No, there could be blood by the end of it if I'm playing because I'm just an intense person. When I play sports, I play 100%. Even if I'm not good at it, I'm gonna play 100% and try to be better at it. Whatever it is, we're 100%. As a family, we're kind of like that. Like when we go camping, it's like, it's camping. It's it's 100%. And, And so like for us, I'm from Colorado. My wife's from Montana. We grew up, camping is like in a tent. It's out in the woods. It's this is the camping we do. And so when we came down in the South, we started talking to people like, hey, we're, we're going camping. We're like, oh, that's cool. We, we like camping too. Where are you guys going? Like, oh, we're gonna hook up the RV down there. I'm like, well, I'm sorry, RV? What is this? What is this thing? Is your, your house on wheels? You're gonna go camping in your house on wheels? Like, and, I, and we've been a little judgmental towards that. But this last weekend, we went camping, tent camping, primitive camping. It was hot. Like, miserable, like, I've been like that on some missions trips, but that was a missions trip. And I don't want to be that way when I'm just trying to have fun with my family. And so I have to confess something. I have to admit something to all of you. I I do from time to time bring a small generator with us in case we need to run some lights to different things. It was so hot, I drove 30 minutes one way to the nearest Dollar General, bought two box fans, brought them back to the campsite, ran my generator all night long to keep a box fan blowing on us. All that is to say we might be in the market for an RV. I'm not, just, at least during the summer, goodness. But we like to be committed. I've taken a lot of jabs over the years at Hogs fans, but the one thing I will say about Hogs fans is you are not fair weather friends. You will be committed 100%. They are horrible year after year after year, and you are still just as committed as ever. That's not fair. I'm a Hogs fan now too. I kind of have to be. I've lived here long enough. But, but you're, you're committed. God wants you to be just as committed to his kingdom as you would be to a football team that really never wins much. But the truth is God wins all the time for us. 
He wins all the time for us. He wants us to be committed to him. So here's the question. Are you 100% committed to God? The question is not, are you 100% perfect? The question is not, are you 100%? Do you have it together 100%? That's not the question. That's not what God's asking for. He's just asking that your heart would be in a place to say, I'm yours, God. Everything that I am, all that I am. There's this verse, this is such a punchy verse. This is Jesus speaking, so if this offends you, it's not my words. This is Jesus. This is, this is how intense of a commitment and a dedication that he's asking for. In Luke 14, verse 25, it says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. He turned to this large crowd, not like his, even his closest friends, not like his most trusted people. He turns to this whole crowd, and this is what he tells them. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. I can just imagine like people towards the back of the crowd like, well, all right. I think I'm out. Oh, this is, this guy just took it to a whole other level. But when you study in the original language, what this is saying is basically this. In comparison to how you love me, in comparison to your dedication, your commitment, your sacrifice, your devotion to me, in comparison to that, your love and your care and concern for anyone else or anything else will seem like hate in comparison. Why? Why? Because God knows that the only way you're ever gonna be able to love anyone else or anything else the way he intended you and created you to love them, you have to love him 100% first. It doesn't happen without that. You don't have it in and of yourself. You don't have the ability. I don't care how caring and loving you think you may feel that you are outside of an overflow of a life in love with Jesus. You just won't ever be able to love people the way he loves them until you've given all of your love to him all of your commitment. Another translation says it this way. If you wanna be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father, your mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. In other words, God is seeking our whole heart. What is a disciple? You know, the word Christian was certainly attributed to disciples, but the word Christian is only used three times in the whole Bible, like even in the original language and context, and only in the New Testament. The word disciple is used over 269 times throughout the New Testament, and this is what a disciple meant. And it wasn't actually only ascribed to people that were following Jesus. There were disciples of John the Baptist. There were disciples of other teachers. But what it meant was it, it, was, it was an intense word, <laughs> Because what it meant is someone that fully submits to the teachings of a person, a learner, someone that adheres very closely to a set of teachings, directions. A disciple of Jesus was someone who follows Jesus in order to become like Jesus. And that's the reason why we're studying the life of Christ. We gotta understand what who he is, the context of why and where and why, 
what it was that he was saying and how it related to the people. The truth is, the truth is every person in this room, you are being discipled by someone or something. Whether this is something that you're doing consciously or not, the truth is you're being discipled by family or teachers or peers, music, movies, whatever you've opened yourself up to, to influence your life, you're being discipled by those things. Someone's taught you how to live, how to think, how to make life decisions. We're all being discipled, but if you call yourself a Christian, then what you're saying is, I'm a disciple of Christ. You're being trained by creator God, and God's heart is for you to learn to be like Christ and then to teach others to do the same thing. So I wanna talk about this call of discipleship. This is an intense teaching and, and you can even sense like a little bit of, of that tension in the room. And I'm not going to avoid it. The tension in the room is because all of us on one level or another are having to face the fact that maybe we haven't been fully devoted followers of Christ. And I think it's important for us to get a clear reflection of where we're at but I think it's important for us to understand, like, what does it mean to be a disciple? What is this call to discipleship? Well, first of all, it's a call to be dangerous, not safe. Early in our ministry experience, my wife and I, this is my wife, Cody, uh, early in our ministry experience, we did a lot of really dangerous stuff. Like before we had before we had kids, like we I mean, we were hiking up to the top of some of the highest mountains to to do mime dramas in the middle of these villages. That we would we would go through jungles and forge rivers and to, to go preach the gospel. We would eat some of the craziest, weirdest food you've ever seen in your life so that we could to try to reach a soul. Like we but we would just we did a lot of crazy, dangerous stuff. And then we got to a point where we did the most dangerous thing that you could ever imagine. We had four kids in four and a half years. It was dangerous. Dare I say stupid. It was dangerous. The crazy thing is, though, you know, dangerous. Well, that, that kind of gets redefined, you know, as you have more responsibilities. Now, if you look at the dangerous things that we do, it's kind of a joke. Like, we stayed up past 11 last night on a school night. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Or, oh, I accidentally slept on the wrong pillow and now I can't turn my neck to the right. You know, we picked up our grocery order late. <laughs> oh, yeah. I tried taking a bite of a pizza roll before it had cooled off. Danger. What is really dangerous? What do I mean by living dangerous? Living countercultural. Living not the way the world wants you to live. That's dangerous. That's not safe. Luke 9, 23 says this. Then he said to the crowd, oh, sorry, wrong verse. No, that is the right verse. 
If any of you wants to be my father, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Jesus didn't die on the cross just to keep us safe. He died on the cross to make us a force for his kingdom. And I think at some point, it just seems like people in the church just started to think that following Christ was like, we're gonna get our blessings and we're gonna get our promises and we're gonna get our eternal insurance plan. And then we're just gonna hold down the fort until Jesus comes back. Like, let's just kind of, let's come into our church buildings and you can come in and you can get saved, but then we're gonna stay in here and get really weird and irrelevant and ineffective at reaching the world outside of this place. And that's not what Jesus died on the cross to do. I think it's time to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. But the Christian life is a sacrificial life and that's the most dangerous part about it. It's, it's gonna take sacrifice. I wonder sometimes if, if in churches people, a lot of people think that they're following Christ, but in reality what they've done is they've accepted forgiveness of sins and then asked Jesus to tag along with them. Like, like Jesus, don't take the wheel ride shotgun, keep me safe, and feed me snacks. It's a horrible country song and not a great way to live. Jesus wants to be in control. So here's one of the most dangerous questions you can ask. God, what do you want me to do with my life? And mean it. Whatever you tell me to do, God, I will do it. The only thing that is more dangerous than not asking that question, it's not asking the question. That's, that's way more dangerous, and I've seen it over and over and over again, thousands of times throughout my ministry experience. People that don't ask that question, they're miserable. They're not fulfilled. They don't have peace. They don't have joy. It's not a way that God would want us to live. But the thing about being a disciple is you got to be intentional and not accidental. This call to discipleship, it's intentional, not accidental. In other words, you're not going to wake up one day suddenly without any effort. Just be like, oh, I woke up this morning and I am a fully devoted follower of Christ. I... All of a sudden, I just have this hunger and desire for his word. I am going to worship him like I mean it. You don't wake up like that. It doesn't happen like that. No, you have to be intentional. You make decisions, and it's the small decisions, small decisions that, that build up and that add up, that create this life in Christ. It's very intentional. It's very personal. Look, the Holy Spirit will draw us to salvation. 
But we make choices every day if we're going to continue to learn about God and follow him and obey him. You ever been to a swimming pool on a day where you know the water's probably not gonna be quite as warm as it usually is? You ever been to, we all know that the best thing that you can do, jump in. You just gotta jump in. But how many of us are like, I don't know though. Oh, go over to the shallow end. Oh, I don't think I can do this. You just kind of wade in slowly. That is torture. But here's the thing, nobody can make you jump in. Or maybe they can't, I wouldn't suggest you do it especially not to your spouse. She has a tendency to get upset about those kinds of things. No one can make you be a disciple. No one can make you jump in. This is something that you have to choose. And ultimately you can't rely on your parents' faith. You can't rely on your religious upbringing. You can't rely on a preacher. And you can't give excuses. You certainly can't have a victim mentality. You have to make a decision. You're the one that has to choose. You have to be intentional. Luke 14, Jesus said this, suppose one of you wants to build a tower won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying the person began the building and wasn't able to finish it. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with the 10,000 men to oppose the one who's coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. In other words, this is something that you have to count the cost for. This is something that you have to plan for. This is something you have to be intentional with. Look, we may not face physical death for our faith, but every person that calls himself a believer must die to themselves daily. Jesus hung on the cross and he asked us to carry ours every day. It's not just a responsibility though, it's a privilege. It's amazing. There's nothing more fulfilling and it doesn't happen on accident. But nothing that's valuable ever happens on accident. Like my marriage. Cody and I have been married for 18 years. It's getting pretty serious and, and uh, we love each other. We're devoted to each other. We're loyal to each other. But here's the thing. We have a pretty full schedule. We're raising four kids. We have to be really intentional about date nights about communication. We have to be really intentional about loving each other and not just loving each other the way we want to love the other person, but loving the other person the way they need to be loved. 
in the way they receive love. Those things don't happen on accident. They happen on purpose. We have to be intentional about these things. Or being healthy. I'm sorry, but being, you're not just gonna wake up one day healthy. It doesn't happen on accident. It happens on purpose, and, and, it, and it happens through sacrifice. Anyone that tells you that they've got this, this easy shortcut solution to getting healthy, getting the body you've always wanted, steer clear. Because there really is only one way that it happens. You've got to sacrifice things that you've been doing, do something different, and you've got to work hard for it. Ethan, our worship pastor, he just got to a place where he wasn't liking how he was feeling, so he just he made a change. But, up, but, the, but the man has been on the stair mill. The man has been running. He's, been putting, he's lost over 20 pounds. Pretty awesome. But ask him if it was easy. Ask him, man, I just woke up and... Wow! Doesn't happen. It happens on purpose. Comes to praying and fasting. I've never met anyone that started fasting on accident. Just woke up one day and realized I hadn't eaten for like five days. Turns out I'd been fasting. No, it's intentional. It's something you do on purpose. We aren't full of the Holy Spirit and his fruit on accident. We don't know God's word by accident. We don't grow and change on accident. We don't develop life-giving, deep relationships and friendships on accident. It happens on purpose. The call to the discipleship is to be spiritual, not natural. In other words, living for the kingdom is not going to make logical sense. Nothing in the kingdom of God makes natural sense because it's a supernatural kingdom. Everything's kind of upside down when it comes to the kingdom of God. Even the disciples, man, they had a hard time accepting this. Like the 12, walking with Jesus, seeing the supernatural, experiencing this relationship with Jesus, and they still had a difficult time not letting their natural thinking get in the way of a supernatural plan. And Peter was the worst about this. One point, Peter, when Jesus told the disciples, like, hey, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be killed. I'm gonna be crucified. Peter's like, no, I, there's no way. I won't let this happen. You know how Jesus responded? He called him Satan. It says it this way, Matthew 16. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. Why? Because you're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. You can't be who God's called you to be if you're just always thinking and living in the natural. A humanistic, logical approach, you have to have a life of faith. It's a supernatural life. But how many people do you know that, can, that live that way? that don't always have to understand everything to be obedient. I think some Christians 
have had enough faith to buy into salvation and then they don't sell out for discipleship. Some people just fall in love with the idea of forgiveness of sin, but walk away from the idea of repentance and lordship. Joshua 3, 5 says this, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. Why? For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. But you have to see the consecration happen first before the amazing things. What is consecration? It means to be set apart. It's going all in and going all out with, with everything that you have. And I believe, I believe if we will as a church consecrate ourselves, if we'll go all in, I believe we are gonna see some amazing things beyond anything we could ever hope or imagine. So what are the practical things that we're trying to do to help people on this path to discipleship? Well, I think you have to kind of take the first steps. I think there are some people that you've been a believer for a really long time, but you've never gone public with your faith. Um, and specifically, maybe you've never done that through water baptism. Well, I think that's a great first step. It's that outward demonstration of the inward commitment that you've made. And if you've never gone before a church body and said, hey, I want everyone here to know that I'm a Christian. And the reason why I want you to know that is because I'm inviting you in to hold me accountable to it. That's what baptism is about. Some people, maybe you're a brand new believer. You haven't been a believer very long. Well, we have a class called Foundations where it just teaches the basic tenets of our faith, like reading the word and prayer and these types of things. And and I would encourage you, maybe that's the next step. But the, the most important thing that we're aiming at right now is what it looks like to have biblical community. The study, the life of Christ. Studying in that, And I'd encourage you, just team up with a couple of friends. Team up with uh, one other family, someone outside of your direct sphere of influence. And I know some people, like, you're still in a place where you're incredibly cautious during this virus. But I would venture to say that even the most cautious family in here has probably had at least one other family or one other friend that you've been comfortable being around even during this. Just go and study this with them. Some of you, you're new to our church, so you don't, you don't necessarily have community yet. You haven't met a lot of people. We have groups for you. And as soon as the service is over, we got a tent all off to the side. We got our welcome center tent, and then we have a tent off to the side. And that's where some of our life group coaches are out there. And we've had, we've had groups that are just saying, hey, we just want to be a landing spot for people that need to find biblical community so we can study this together. I'd encourage you to do that. We have ways that you can sign up. Angel will talk about some of that. Here's my heart. I'm not interested in being a church that doesn't make disciples of people. I'm not interested in doing it. I'm not interested in having a church that just has services that people enjoy attending. I'm not interested in it. I'm not interested 
in creating fans of New Life Church, fans of New Life Church worship, or fans of James Bennett. I'm interested in making people desire, have a hunger, and be passionate to be fully devoted followers of Christ. And we will do everything that we possibly can to make everything available, to give you the tools, to give you the ways, to give you all that. But at the end of the day, this is a personal choice. I won't push you off into the water. You're gonna have to jump. But I promise you, if you will, that's when you live life and life to the full. It doesn't happen without it. But why? Because it's only by having a church that is full of people that aren't perfect, that don't have it all together, but have a desire and a passion to make Jesus the number one priority in their life and pursuing him, and that they understand it doesn't happen when you're isolated. It doesn't happen when you just pull aside and do your own thing. It's just me and Jesus. No, you get weird when you do that. You need the body of Christ. You can't separate yourself from the body of Christ and this work the way it's supposed to work. You have to be connected to the body of Christ. But if we have people that are in that place, that's the only way that we reach a city, a community, and a state. It's when there's people that see this, have a hunger for it, and desire not for people just to find salvation, but desire for people to find the life that God has for them. And that only happens through discipleship. So I'm asking all of you, please stop leaning and depending on me and our church to do all the discipling. You are a follower of Christ and God has called you to help us disciple people. Please own it. Please do it with us. And I promise you this study, look, I promise you, if you will engage in this study that we're doing, you're gonna know more about Jesus than 90% of the Christians that you've ever known. We're, we're gonna break down context. There's gonna be good teaching. There's devotionals every day that we want you to engage in. Where it's gonna be longer teachings where you can get together with a, a small group or, or even just with your family. But imagine if dads are sitting around talking about the life of Christ with their kids. Imagine if couples are getting together and examining how they love each other in comparison to how Jesus has loved them. Imagine, I think it could change and we need change. What is God asking you to trust him with 100% so you can be a more devoted follower of him? Because the reality is, I made the joke about the hymn, I Surrender. But we're all at different percentages. Some of us, it's like, I surrender about 40%. We're all at different places. And what the Holy Spirit is asking us to do, just examine your heart. Be open to the fact that there's an area of your life that you, have, you don't trust me with it. Could be your finances, could be your family, could be your kids could be your health, could be your hobbies, just your passions, your desires, your future, your possessions, your fears, your time, your energy, your talents. I surrender all. I surrender all. It doesn't happen without a personal relationship with Jesus. And just like it's always been, it will always be, this is a place of salvation where people can come to an understanding through the leading of the Holy Spirit that they're away from God. 
They don't have a relationship with him. And find that. And so there may be someone in this room. There were six or seven in the last service. That just if they were really being honest and truthful. That maybe they've been coming to church their whole lives. Or maybe they've always done church things. But if they were really honest, they've never totally surrendered to Jesus. They've never just said, I need a savior because I recognize I'm a sinner, but I also need a Lord because when I try to do my life on my own, I mess it up. I want my life to belong to, to God. And there might be a couple of people in this room right now that you just, you're away from him. You've never surrendered to him or maybe you did at some point, but you've, you've, you've drifted. You've let condemnation or shame or whatever it may be make you think that God doesn't love you and doesn't have a plan for you. That's not the truth. He does love you. He does have a plan for you. It may be time for you to come back to him. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. I just want you to know that it's certainly not my heart that any person in this room feel guilt, condemnation, or shame because of where you are in relation to being devoted to the things of God. That, that's not my heart. The amazing thing about Jesus' ministry is he would have these incredibly punchy, offensive things that he would say, but it was coupled with so much grace, so much love, so much acceptance. And I want you to know that that is his heart for you. That's my heart. If you feel guilt or shame or condemnation, I, I want you to know it, it's not coming from me. The enemy likes to bring those things. He certainly likes to bring those things. But I also cannot say I love you and not tell you the truth. And so I've just tried to present the truth. And I think some of you, you need to respond to it. So I'm not gonna ask you to do anything weird, but I'm gonna ask you to be bold enough to admit that you, you need him if you're away from him. I'm gonna ask you to be bold enough just to say, look, I, I'm, I've never surrendered to him. I've never, I've never asked for forgiveness. I've never asked him to be my Lord and Savior or, or I've been away from him and I've drifted away from him and I need to come back to him and rededicate to him. If you're in either one of those places, I'm not gonna embarrass you. What I'm getting ready to ask you to do is not what gets you saved, but it is, I believe, something that can help unlock some faith in you to receive everything that God has for you. So if you're in that place, and I, want you, I don't want you to worry about anybody that's sitting around you because you could think, man, this person, they think that I've been a Christian forever and I've been coming to church and this and that. But if I'm being honest, I know that I'm away from God and, and I don't want to be in that place. I, this is decision is the most important decision you could ever make. So don't let anybody's opinion keep you from making it. But if you know you need him, nobody's looking around. I'm just gonna ask you, put your hand and say, that's me. I'm away from God and I need him. And as soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. Yes, thanks God. Thanks for being bold. God's gonna honor that. Anyone else? I'm just away from him. I don't have a relationship with him. 
I need to come back to him. Okay. Got it. Thank you, guys. I see you all. Thank you, guys. Anybody else? I'm just away from Jesus. Thanks, bro. That's strength. That's strength, admitting you need Jesus. Thank you. Got it. Thank you. This is the first step in, in a long journey that's amazing. Anyone else? I'm just, I'm away from him and I need him. Thank you. Got it, buddy. Just need to make that decision. Okay. So thankful for all those hands. And like I said, you raising your hand, it doesn't get you saved. But I want to know as your pastor, your brother in Christ, who I'm praying with, and in a physical act of your free will, man, it just does something in your heart. I think you can sense that right now. But I, I want to pray with you. So let's just have a conversation with God. It's just, just being honest. And at some point, you need to go public with this decision. I encourage you to tell somebody as soon as the service is over. But, but even if... Even if you do that, I encourage you to get water baptized and we'll have an opportunity for that next week. But let's just talk to him and just say this. Say, God, here's my life and I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sin separates me from you, but I, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I don't understand how, how all that works. I, I don't understand how you could love somebody like me, especially with all the mistakes I've made, but I believe, I have faith that, that you did pay that price and not only did you die for me, but but you defeated death and you defeated my sin. When you rose from the grave, you didn't stay dead. You rose from the grave. And I thank you that, that you're preparing a place. I have the hope of heaven, but I'm not interested in just being saved by you. I wanna live the life that you have for me. And I know the only way I can have that is to surrender to you. Would you be my Lord? I turn away from living the way I've been living and living for the world. I wanna live for you. And that's intimidating, God. It's intimidating, but I know that you're gonna help me. And I know that as I seek you in prayer, as I seek you in your word, as I get connected to other people that believe what I believe, they're gonna encourage me and support me and challenge me. I just wanna be everything that you've made me to be. Thank you for paying the price so I could be a follower of you. And I thank you that you're gonna help me to make other people follow you too. Thank you for that. Father, I thank you for this, this plan that you've given us. And I just pray that we would all engage wholeheartedly. Lord, I pray if there's any person that's in this room that just, maybe they just don't feel connected to the vision of our church. Maybe they just feel like this isn't their flavor, Lord. I'm so thankful that you have so many amazing churches around here. And I just pray that if it's not here, they would find that church, God, that you're leading them to and that they would be planted. They would just put down roots and be committed with everything that they have. But Lord, for every person that says, this is my family, this is my home, God, help us to be more fully devoted to you than we've ever been before. For your glory, for your name. In Jesus' name, amen.